0: Welcome to mind money balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach woman of color and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. I'm thrilled to have on today's guest Danielle Swim of The Entrepreneurial Therapist. We talked about a lot today, which we will get into, but the one thing that really stood out to me in having this conversation was the opposite of grinding and hustling and how much that showed up in the way that she cultivated a practice that really worked. For her and for her needs specifically. I think so often for therapists and for practitioners who turn to online businesses, there's so much noise out there about the importance of working so hard, working 20 hours a day, six days a week, being on all the different platforms, doing all the things. And Danielle specifically said, no, I'm not going to do that because she tried doing it. She tried working those long, hard hours and the results just weren't there. So I'm really thrilled to share with you today's interview with Danielle Swim. She is the founder of the entrepreneurial therapist, where she shares tips on how to get into the business side of money, but she's also an eating disorder therapist. And in today's episode, we are going to get into the importance of creating a community, having open communication and creating new money stories for your family and your children, and the importance of getting grounded and centered with your money. Enjoy. Danielle Swim, thank you so much for joining me on the Mind Money Balance podcast. Yeah, thank you for
1: having me. I'm so excited to be here and I feel like I already know you and I'm excited we're actually able to chat now.
0: Yes, absolutely. So for people who aren't aware of who you are and what you do, give us a little rundown on what you do both professionally and then just in your non-working life. What do you do for fun and at home? Yeah, so
1: I'm a therapist. I'm in private practice at apple. Maryland. I also, on Instagram, am known as entrepreneurial therapist. So I do consulting for therapists. I show kind of behind the scenes on Instagram about what my private practice is like, how I built it. I really, it's funny because I created the Instagram account because I was like, I really want a place that I can go to that's like motivational, that doesn't stress me out. And I couldn't really find one on the internet And so I created this account because I wanted to connect with other therapists who were also entrepreneurs. So I'm also known as the entrepreneurial therapist. And I do like coaching and consulting for therapists. And then you could also find me outside of work. I spend time with my baby girl. She just turned one last week. And then I have my husband and dog. And I'm pretty much like a hermit outside of work. (laughs) I really just like to be in nature and unplugged. I'm kind of old school like that. I like gardening and I'm an introvert. So I really like that quiet time.
0: Ooh, what do you do with gardening over the wintertime? I'm not a green thumb so I have no idea if that's an ignorant question.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I just went to the store yesterday actually. Um there's like a huge gardening store by my house and I got some herbs I'm just going to grow in the window so over the winter. Just little stuff like that. It just helps like connect me and kind of turn off that work mode that I'm constantly in. You know, when I'm like out in nature around animals just outside it just feels like that's my flow that doesn't include work. And so I always go for that.
0: Oh, I love that. And I love having fresh herbs over the wintertime. I guess I think about gardening as a, like maybe a three season thing, like spring, summer and fall, but I don't really think of it as a winter thing. So it's nice that you can kind of fold that in. So we are talking money, of course, cuz this is the Mind Money Balance podcast. Why don't you rewind a little bit and tell us about your money story and you can start as early as you'd like or as as recent as you like.
1: Yeah. So
0: I went through
1: every all like the normal schooling that we all go through um and I was told, you know, if you go to college, And you get a degree and you work really hard, you're going to make good money. And that's exactly what I did. Like, I got my bachelor's degree from a really good university. I then went on and got my master's degree, you know, in Washington, D.C. And I was like, cool, I have, like, I've checked all the boxes. I'm working really hard. But what had happened was I had taken out all the student loan debt. And I actually wasn't making much money at all in the agency that I first landed my job outside of grad school. And I panicked because I was like, this has been kind of a lie that I've been told, you know, to take out all this student loan debt, it's worth it, quote unquote. And then to get into a field where you're constantly told you're not in it to make money, you're not going to make much money, you're in it to help people. and. I really had to do a lot of work, like on my own, to like undo these limiting beliefs. And I was like, I'm too smart for this. I work too hard to be in this place. And I don't want to end up like everybody else where I'm paying off student loans for the next 3040 years. I want to have a family. I, I just don't this wasn't the life that I wanted. And when I was, you know, 22 and signing up for my master's degree, I wasn't fully aware of all the implications of taking out such a massive student loan. So I've learned a lot the hard way. And I definitely had a scarcity mindset that it really took me a few years to undo and it's still work that I am doing.
0: Mm -hmm. So how do you think this anxiety around debt impacted your desire to go into private practice. Or, you know, the other thing that I heard there was that debt wouldn't allow you to have a family. Help me understand how you drew those conclusions that debt meant you couldn't have other things in your life.
1: Yeah. So there was a couple of things. The amount of debt that I was in made it hard to do other things. It was like it felt heavy on my shoulders, and I still haven't completely paid off the student loan debt, so I never want to, like – I'm not there yet. And when I am, people will know it. It'll be a huge celebration. But I've made a lot of headway. And I was worried because I was in the agency where I wasn't getting paid much. And I had high student loan debt. So the ratio was like totally off. And the hours that I was working in the agency made it really hard for me to visualize or picture me having a family with those hours. You know, I'm working till 8 p.m. I'm starting at 10 a.m. Like, how am I going to be pregnant? and work that hard, have a baby and work that hard. And I also wanted to buy a home where I could have a family. Mm-hmm. And in order to sign for a home and to have that kind of uh, student loan debt and that income is nearly impossible. It's really hard to do when the banks look at that to get a home mortgage loan. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was like, something's got to change.
0: Yeah and and what I heard there is that you were doing the things that we are told to do which is work longer hours put in more time keep grinding and eventually you'll get out of debt and I heard you go nope <laughs> that's not going to work for me I can stay at this agency job I can stay working you know 10 hour 12 hour days And still you could tell that there wasn't a viable way for you to have the things that you wanted to have. So what actually shifted? Did you, you know, start, is that when you went into private practice or did you say, you know what, I'm going to change my dreams. I don't want a home anymore. How did you kind of come out of that mindset of just hustle, hustle, hustle? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I knew I wanted to go into private practice when I was in grad school. So I okay. always knew I was going to work for myself. Like when I was in, I went to community college, you know, pre-grad school and I had a, like a dog walking business. So I've always been entrepreneurial. Like it's just runs through my veins. So I knew I didn't want to work for somebody else my entire life, but I also wasn't sure how much you would make in private practice. Nobody talks about that. And it's funny. Cause I, I got a DM not that long ago where someone was like, "Hey, I'm in grad school. How much do you make in private practice?" And I was like, "This is such an interesting question because they don't talk about it. You know, they don't mm-hmm. t- tell you in grad school if you're in private practice, money is this topic that, you know, is like hush hush, you don't really talk about it. People don't even put their rates on their website sometimes. So you don't even know how much they're charging. So it's really hard for you to calculate like how much you could make. But I left the agency job. I I worked for a group practice full time. So I kind of made that leap to get into the private practice world a little bit more, learn more. I made really good money at the group private practice, actually. But again, the hours I was working, the kinds of clients I was seeing, the amount of work that I had to do just didn't align with the kind of life that I wanted. But I did it because I was able to make good money and put it towards student loan debt. So I knew it was short term, I was able to hustle and do that because I knew it wasn't going to be forever. And eventually, I did open my private practice on the side while I was there. And then once I started to fill up with this part-time private practice, I made that leap to go full-time. And that's what I do today.
0: Okay. So it also sounds like you were really structured in the way that you decided to go into private practice. You kind of created this stair-step instead of going from a community agency where you're making, you know, hardly anything, <laughs> I think the average income there is, I want to say it's like 38 or 41,000, right? And that's nationally. So who knows where you are, but it's not a lot of money, certainly not enough to get out of massive student loan debt. And you went from, instead of going from that to private practice, you took a stair step that you knew was temporary. And I think that is key when we are making a financial shift that we know might be harder in the short term. If we know that it's exactly that, which is short term, you knew I'm going to, do this for X amount of time. And I don't know if that was a certain year you said, okay, I'm going to do this for one or two years. Or if you said, I'm going to do it until I get down to XYZ on my student loans before I go into private practice. But I think that's really important because with a lot of folks who I talk to, they kind of consume... There's this pendulum of scarcity to abundance, I think. And on the one end of abundance, I think it's really harmful, this message of just leap and you'll find a net on your fall, right? This idea of just like, go for it without a plan in place and the universe will reward you. I think that's so damaging and scary. So I love that you created a stair step for yourself to go from group practice to private practice. So can you walk us through what your plan was there? And also like, Danielle, how did you come up with this plan? it seems so strategic. So one, how did you come up with this plan? And then two, give us the details on a little bit more of what that plan was.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of my nature. I think most entrepreneurs can be kind of obsessive (laughs) when they really are passionate Dream that they're going after. Like you couldn't tell me, no, this wasn't going to happen. I believed with every, Cell in my body that I was going to create exactly what I've created, like the office that I'm sitting in right now. I had to believe that even when I was sitting in an office at the group practice where like the furniture wasn't nice and I I was overworked and I was getting burnt out. Like I had to believe that there was something possible in order to just get through the day. So I didn't really have another option. So Seeing it as my only option really helped motivate me to create this structure. And it didn't feel structured at the time. So I want to speak to anyone who's in this right now. It doesn't feel structured. It feels really messy. It feels chaotic. You're all over the place. Your mindset is being tested around every corner. That's honestly just the process. So when I was in the group practice that I was working at full time, I rented a space one day a week where I would fill up clients there and I had talked to my boss at my full-time group practice and she let me have Mondays off so that I could do my private practice and I was seeing I mean I think I saw eight clients in one day on Mondays because I had the office space just for that day it was like back to back it wasn't how I wanted it but I knew it's what I needed to save up in the business so that I could feel more secure making that leap because I'm pretty risk adverse. You know, I learned my lesson from the student loan debt. Like I'm risk adverse when it comes to money. So I wanted to make sure I had a good pile stashed up. I was also married. I was newly married at the time. So it's also important to me that I communicated all of this with my husband. So we would sit down, we would go over the finances. We would look, okay, like if we have this much saved up with his income, And my income, what looks good to us? Because there's so many emotions involved when you're starting a business. It's really hard to think logically at times. So just looking at the numbers really helped me be like, okay, this is logically how I can do things and not that impulsive, oh my gosh, I need to quit everything because I had three clients call in one day. This is about to take off when really a business ebbs and flows. So three clients might call one day but next week you might not get any new client calls. So dealing with that uncertainty, it helped a lot by having a savings stashed away where I could make that leap and feel more confident going into it.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. You had so many good nuggets as you were sharing that. And so a couple of things that I wanted to maybe point out and maybe we could dive into a little bit was originally I was going to ask, who or what helped when you were feeling so chaotic and when the journey was feeling messy? And I heard a couple of things that helped. One was going back to the logic and the logic in this instance was, what do the numbers tell me? What do the numbers tell me is a good next step? And what can I use those numbers to help guide me as I move forward? And then I also heard that having your partner on board to have those open and honest and potentially awkward conversations was really helpful. But were there other things that helped you on that journey? Were there books? Were there courses? Was it other entrepreneurial therapists who you leaned on, what else helped outside of the logic and outside of your spouse's emotional support?
1: Yeah. So I'll give you something very tangible. I listened to Entrepreneurs on Fire, that podcast. Oh, yes. Everybody knows that podcast. And at the time he was doing seven days a week, those episodes. And so I would listen to it Every day, I had my commute was an hour, Mm. so I would listen to podcasts where I could hear these other entrepreneurs that made it work. And some of them, you know, I knew I wanted to be a mom in the future, some of them were moms that made it work, and I could hear how they structured things, and that gave me hope, and it also taught me a lot so i my commute i was able to like use my car ride as almost an academy for me to learn everything i needed to i was so passionate about that i remember pulling over on the side of the road a couple of times cuz i was hear something in the podcast and need to write it down in my notes section or like if they linked a website i'd be like okay i need to go to that through Entrepreneurs on Fire, I found Joe Sanok, who's a consultant, and I joined his Next Level Practice, which really helped me feel like, okay, I invested money in this dream, and now I have a community who's also supporting me and helping me go through this. And I still talk to some of the therapists who started at the same time I did, and it's been really cool to like cheer each other on, but having that foundation, because my partner, He's not a therapist. He's not an entrepreneur. So he was able to support me to some degree, but I needed to find people who were in my exact same shoes, who got it. They're starting their therapist. They're starting a practice. They get it. And that helped tremendously.
0: So I heard community support and education was key. And what I also heard there that was really important for you was not only consuming the content from these podcasts, but actually implementing it. Because I can say that when I started out, I was in content consumption mode constantly listening to podcasts, constantly joining free webinars. And then I become so overwhelmed because there's competing messages, quite frankly, and this feeling of, of anxiety and being behind. So I love that what you did was you said, okay, I'm going to treat this as an academy, as an education, and I'm going to tune in with what I need. And that also might mean having somebody who has done it before expertly guide me through this and have a community of others who are going through the same thing. And Joe is, he's actually been a guest on this show. So listeners have, have heard his voice before. And I love hearing that you went through his program. Another person who will be on this podcast is Tiffany McLean of Lean and Bank Bank. And we've had a couple of other therapists who have gone through her program. And so before I get back to you, I just want to plug that So many therapists get worried about having a niche and if other people are in their niche that then they're they're toast. But if we are learning anything today, it's that Joe has been on the show. Tiffany will be on the show. Danielle is here saying, I help entrepreneurial... podcast or um, entrepreneurial therapist, there is more than enough to go around. And I think sometimes we get stuck in, if I pick this niche and there's somebody else in it, then I'm doomed. So how did you overcome both being in private practice, but also starting the entrepreneurial therapist? How did you kind of come to terms with being in a niche that there might be other people in?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think for the niche, I really found out how important it is for my private practice to really niche down, like I heard that over and over again. So when I would listen to these podcasts, when I would hear other people who did it well, they would say like niche down and then niche again. So like get smaller and smaller and smaller. And for my private practice, I was like, what is my niche going to be? I think that's a really hard thing to figure out when you're first starting. And so I really enjoyed working with eating disorders. So I did eating disorders, but then I niched down to binge eating disorder, which is what I really enjoy working with and so get being known for that one diagnosis that one specialty helped tremendously with my practice taking off. Number one, there's barely anyone else in my area who does that specialty and the people that are, they're full because, you know, there's such a high demand for that. And at first, I was like, you know, should I reach out to other therapists who have the same specialty as me or is it going to be competition? So I did think along those lines, like what you're mentioning. But what I found is when I would actually meet with them, they were pretty similar to me personality wise. And so I made some friends from it. And I've learned through other people's experiences, like I've heard on podcasts, people say, you know, I was worried about competition, but they became like my number one referral source, because they would get full and they would refer people to me. And I think you know, I connect with one person over another and sometimes I'm not able to explain it. Like, oh, I really get her message. I like her a lot. And this other person shares the same message, but I just don't connect with her f- for some reason. There's just something there and that goes for everybody. So people are going to connect with me over somebody else or vice versa. But I think it's part of that scarcity mindset with marketing too, where there really is an abundance of like... Um, Demand out there, regardless of what field you're in, changing that mindset helps
0: a lot. And what I heard there too is also proof of concept, like proof that there was a need for eating disorder therapists because Mm -hmm. there were only a handful in your area and they were all full, which says, hey, there's a need. And when we think about it from a potential client perspective, if I go to Google and there is one eating disorder specialist, I mean, I'm going to call them, right? But if there are three or five or 10, then I can also decide who is the best fit for me based on how they're showing up on their website and based on the language that they are using. So I love that you are able to go, I'm going to reach out to these other folks, And then the other thing I heard was that you didn't niche too quickly. (laughs) Sometimes I hear people go, okay, I have to do a niche. And they like niche down to the teensy tiniest thing without going, is this something I love? Is this something I'm really good at? And so I like that again, without knowing it, Danielle, you're taking these really measured steps, you said, I'm going to first specialize in eating disorders. I'm going to hang out there for a little while. And then as certain clients came in as, and as I lit up and doing the work it made, it became really clear that binge eating was actually the specialty that I wanted to be in, which I love. So let's go back to the money piece. How did narrowing in help your business? Yeah. So
1: like how the money mindset narrowing in. Yeah, Yeah. So it had to be something I worked on because what was happening was it's like you start a business and anybody's allowed to start a business, but you don't go through like a course on how to handle money in a business. So you're kind of just like, left with this thing to handle. It's almost like when I was sent home from the hospital with my baby, I was like, okay, hold on. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. somebody guide me on how to take care of her once I get home. Same with the business. Like you start making money and you're like, whoa, wait a second. Okay. Now I have this money. This is awesome. But like, how much do I pay myself? Do I reinvest it back into the business? What's happening here? And so I had to work on the money piece because I didn't want to be worried about it. I didn't want to feel frantic. I really wanted to feel like calm and centered around the money that I am making. And that takes time. I, I really had to like learn to trust myself more. The longer I was an entrepreneur, like trust myself as the CEO of my own company, trust myself that I do know how to make money on my own. And so when you're new and you're still in that baby phase of business, like that trust isn't established yet and it will be with time. But when I was in that baby phase, what I would do is I read a lot of books about money mindset. One of my favorites is lucky bitch, get rich. I think that's the title of it. Um, Denise Duffield Thomas. Okay. Yeah. And one of the things that she taught and I've heard so many other people talk about this is tracking your money. And so I would like go into my business bank account and I would write down every dollar that would come in. And I would just focus on being grateful for every dollar that I was bringing in. And Mm -hmm. so this just helped my mindset around it. And, you know, I wasn't focused on the accounting aspect, the logistics, paying the bills. It was like, oh my gosh, a client just paid for session. And even if it was one session I just got paid for, like, I am so incredibly grateful for the hundred fifty dollars that just came into my bank account—that's awesome. I made that through my own mm-hmm. doing, and recognizing that instead of being like, "Okay, I need to do eight more of those to to meet rent this month," and you know, to go down that rabbit hole, I'm just going to sit for a second. And the fact that I just made this money—that's amazing.
0: I love that, and I think you touched on something that a lot of people get into, which is, "Okay, I made a hundred bucks, but how do I do it again? How do I replicate it? What's next?" versus saying. I'm so thankful. I'm going to practice gratitude for this money that's flowing in. And I'm, I'm practicing some joy just celebrating in the fact that I, I cultivated this. And for you, Danielle, you did it in exchange for something that you are really skilled at. And, and that also brings you joy. So it's like, win, win, win. You're just checking all of these boxes. So to sit with that and celebrate it is really, really important. What other tools were helpful for you as you grew your business and as you cultivated your money mindset?
1: Yeah. So I really like, I call it manifestation, but I don't even know if that's really what it is. I'm not super into manifestation. Like some of the experts can explain it much better than me, (laughs) but what I did was I accepted the fact that, okay, at this time, you know, in the beginning, I think I was paying myself like, five hundred dollars a month from my practice you know i was still working full time it was okay Mm -hmm. to do that and i I came i learned this phrase where it's like i fully accept where i am right now and that's the fact that i'm not making much money off of my business right now but i also believe with every fiber of my being that this is going to change yeah someday um and so i can accept where i am but I also believe that it's going to change. So writing down like every morning that I make X amount of money working X hours a week, that always resonated with me. Like mm-hmm. how many hours a week do I want to work? How much money am I making while I'm working those hours was really important. I also like the idea of recording like you're perfect. What I did was I picked a moment in the future that is just abundant and kind of shows this life that I've designed uh, where money flows to me easily. I live the Mm -hmm. lifestyle I really like. And I wrote it all down. And then I recorded, I did a voice memo in my phone, like me reading it out loud. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy for me. It's only like four minutes long, but it's really easy for me to hit play in the morning when I'm like making breakfast for my daughter or something. And to hear my own voice read that back to myself is More powerful than I thought it was going to be. To just sit in that moment that hasn't yet happened helps me create, you know, what can I do today to create this life that I'm envisioning?
0: I love that. And you mentioned something, you said, I play it, you know, while I'm feeding my daughter or whatever. How do you think your relationship with money, cultivating a calm relationship with money, as you have mentioned, how do you think having that calm and centered relationship with money will imprint or impact your young daughter?
1: Yeah, I'm really passionate. I've become more passionate about it since having her. Because I don't want her to grow up in a house where we fight about money or, you know, we're worried about money. I feel like becoming a parent, like, obviously completely changes you. But, like, for me, it's like I look at everything through the eyes of her now. Like, how do I want her to see things? And it's just been really cool. I feel like it's motivated me a lot more to have open conversations with my partner about money, but also like, I want to save for her college, you know? And so like, there's bigger money goals with another human being involved.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for taking the time and coming in and, and telling the listeners about your story and about your journey. I think again, it's just so validating to hear that there are more than one ways to cultivate a centered relationship with money. And, and thank you for sharing how it showed up both in your work and then also at home. So if anybody's interested in learning more about either branch of your business, whether it's you know the binge eating disorder side or whether it's the entrepreneurial therapist side, where can they go? How can they find you?
1: You're going to find me best on Instagram. So entrepreneurial therapist is my Instagram handle. Find me there. My private practice, Is collidebehavioralhealth.com, and that's where you can find me. Thank you so much for having me on, though. This was so much fun chatting with you.
0: Yeah, it was fun talking to you off the gram. (laughs) Yeah, I know. All right, let's get into the takeaways from this conversation with Danielle. Takeaway number one was the importance of knowing you are not alone. And Danielle talked about this both in the idea of being in an online community, something very structured, like the one that she did with Joe Sanok of next level practice and hint Joe is actually going to be next week's guest. So you'll get to learn a little bit more about him and his work next week. So the importance of knowing that you're not alone. Oftentimes when we are talking about money, again, whether you are doing this as an entrepreneur or as somebody who is traditionally employed, it feels so taboo to talk about money and engage about money. So having a community, having a space to talk about it makes such a difference in dialing down shame and providing validation and providing normalization. And that is a part of what I Do in my group coaching program, right? So, grow a profitable practice from the inside out. If you haven't heard, it's my nine week group coaching program. And a huge part of this program is the community aspect. It isn't a top down thing where I'm just lecturing at you and telling you exactly what to do. I'm, of course, sharing with you tips and tricks and insights and helping you with your money mindset and pricing in a strategic manner. But What everybody said who took the last round was the big takeaway was the importance of knowing they weren't alone, the importance of being able to go to other private practice and small business owners and say, hey, this is really where I'm struggling. I could use some feedback or, hey, have you ever had an issue with X, Y and Z and having that. Community Helps, again, to provide validation, to help you achieve those goals that you want to achieve in a way that doesn't feel rushed or out of place. It provides accountability and support for you. So going back to Danielle and today, knowing that you aren't alone really helped her both in the business side of things, but also in the numbers side of things. So in the business side of things, in terms of thinking about how to niche down and how to move from group practice to private practice, but also with the numbers to take a look at how much she needed to bring in so that she could achieve some of the goals that she'd mentioned, like dial down her debt and purchasing a home with her partner. And if you are interested in grow a profitable practice from the inside out, the group coaching program that I just mentioned, all you have to do is go to my website, mindmoneybalance.com slash profitable practice. I'm accepting applications until December 9th, 2020. And we kick off on December 14th, 2020. All right. On to number two, the second t- takeaway from the conversation with Danielle was the importance of open communication with her spouse. Now, whether you are partnered in a romantic way or partnered in a business way, having these conversations is key. So whether it is sitting down and saying, Hey, I want to go into business. What do we need to be communicating about on a monthly basis? That is so important. And when you think about it in a romantic relationship, not in a business relationship, just thinking about what do we want to talk about monthly. I often recommend my therapy clients, my financial therapy clients, that they at least take a look at these four quadrants of what do we earn? What do we spend, AKA a budget or a spending plan? And what do we owe? And what do we own? So how much money do we owe to other places, such as a mortgage, student loan debt, personal loans, etc., and how much do we own? What are our assets? That kind of helps you take a look at the big picture, the net worth, whereas the earn and spend helps take a look at the nitty gritty a little bit more about what's going on on a day-to-day basis. So that is key takeaway number two is having open communication with your partner or spouse. Takeaway number three is that getting calm and centered with your money does not happen overnight. Danielle shared that it takes time to practice gratitude for the money coming in and that for her, what actually helped was looking at the numbers to really see what was going on in her practice in a logic based way. And that helped to provide some scaffolding, right? So that she could make wise, informed decisions. So often when we are engaging with our money, we are just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and being really reactive rather than being proactive and saying, what are the numbers telling me? Where do I need to kind of tinker around? How can I play with the dials of dialing down my spending or dialing up my earning so that it can work for me? So making sure again, to give yourself grace and compassion, because the stuff with money is just going to take Time. So, those are the key takeaways today. Knowing you're not alone and finding a community. Number two, practicing open communication if you are in a partnership, romantic or otherwise, and giving yourself a lot of grace because getting calm and centered with money takes time. I want to remind you again that if you are a therapist in private practice and you are struggling with how to price your services and you keep kind of getting in your head about it and you're struggling with creating boundaries around no-shows and how to protect your schedule, you know, you went into private practice to have an easy, more fulfilled life and, and here you are struggling, working way more than the nine to five that you had originally thought. My guess is there's a lot of money mindset and boundary issues going on that grow a profitable practice from the inside out can help you with. The first several weeks of the program, we're only talking about your unique financial psychology, the lessons that you have learned about money, how that might be showing up in your practice before we ever touch the strategy side of things like pricing, niching, creating your website and marketing authentically. And of course, as I mentioned, it's all within the container of a community-based program, which means that you get to know others who are going through similar journeys as well. Again, if you want to apply for that, highly recommend doing so, www.mindmoneybalance.com slash profitable practice. And with that, I will see you on Monday when we talk to Joe Sanok. Do me a favor, would you? please rate and review this podcast on your podcast player of choice. And while you're there, double check that you're subscribed to the mind money balance podcast. So you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for your support. I'll see you next week. or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.